right, can you hear me? Nice. I had to turn the mic on. That's a big step. You should try to stay clear of everything. It's like, as soon as I touch it, it goes bad. All right, we're going to continue through 1 Peter. Boy, everybody adapted. We adjusted so well. Where's Wes? Wes, thanks for setting us up in here. Appreciate it. Found a way to squeeze in 25 tables? No problem. Wes, Wes works out for a living. For those of you who don't know that, he is almost like a professional athlete. He's moving around here so much 24-7. If you're wondering how he stays in such great shape. Uh, let's see. I should have had this page, but we're just going to get right into 1 Peter. By the way, I wanted to tell you, too, that right after this, and I'll probably bring it up during the talk, at least that's the plan if I don't forget, but I'm flying back to Boston. I'm flying back there because my, uh, my mom fell again. She's at that point, right, where it's just like, man, it's just rough. It's just rough. Just don't know when she's going to fall, so... Broke her femur for a second time in three months. Same femur, just terrible. But when I uh, saw pictures of her, she looks like she's doing okay. She's actually upbeat, so I'm excited to go see her. And I also thought, hey, I'm actually going to be in New England for the one annual home game we have every year where we actually pay attention because we know we're getting to this point. Now it's just a matter of you're going to win from here. But So Patriots... AFC Championship game, it's kind of a regular thing. How about some of you guys? Who are you rooting for? All right, we'll get to something much more important. I like to say sports, we pretend it matters. It's kind of fun to pretend it matters. But here it really does. We're going to go with 1 Peter chapter 1. We got through two verses last week. We're going to do a little better this week. We're going to start at 3 and read through 12. Should have brought my glasses. Hey, there you go. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's better than when your wife hands them to you and they're like pink. You put them on like, oh, I don't know. You guys are unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him, you believe in Him 
and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving, that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Thanks, Joe. I've shared it a few times, so most of you know it. I'll see how fast I can share it so you get the gist and I don't hang out here too long. I'm not actually sure when I, when I believed and was born again. Right? That's the word we saw here today, that we've been born again. I, it would be hard for me to guess because there were so many moments of... Uh, I. I recognize, I acknowledge this truth, but then there was very little, if any, impact. So I don't know. Like, was it, was it in seventh grade when, you know, I remember being out walking the dog and I'd bring my Bible with me in maybe even sixth grade. And I'd sit down and I'd read. And as I read, I knew that what I was reading, it was true. I knew it. I'd already seen it playing out in my life that, you know, this idea of if, if you live faithful, if you live like this, there's these consequences. And if you don't, there's these other consequences. And even at that age, right, you know, like there's things you do where when you're done, you feel awful. You think you got away with it and you didn't. That, whoa, something's going on here. And so maybe it was there when I first believed and there were moments. But it's hard for me to think I was born again then. I'm not sure. And the only reason I'm not sure is because all, so many of the actions that followed, just long stretches where I just lived in chaos. I just did what I wanted. There was no, it seemed like straight darkness. <laughs> uh, not like I was doing everything as bad as I could have. There was just no faith. Right? Everything was self-motivated. So even if I'm doing well in school at that time, which... At that time, I still was. Uh, it got a little tougher in college. But at that time, I still was. And so it's not like that was bad, but even that was self-motivated. After college, I went out to California. People looking in might have still said, hey, things are going pretty good. Like you went to the school that you wanted to go to. You got the degree that you wanted to get. You did it in four years. One or two, one, one summer class thrown in there to make sure it happened in four years. I went out to Southern California where I was surprised to find that nobody did it in four years out there. Like everybody was doing the community school. And so I got there and I had the job I wanted and I was living in this area where actually it was really fun to be 21 or 22 and disobedient. Oh, there was plenty of fun to be had. But what I found was, um, boy, I... I'm actually very dissatisfied. There's been enough hurt in my life where as enough as a result of this hurt and pain and 
and other things. I was angry. And as a result of this angry anger, I'd done things that were destructive to me and to others, to people I cared about. Heck, I can remember things I said to my mother. I just think, wow, just terrible things, right? So I was hurt, angry, guilty, and wondering, how does this get remedied? And someone told me to consider Jesus again. Think, think again on who Jesus is and, and what this means. And I became convinced, among other things, like in my head, that the evidence for the resurrection was overwhelming. That I actually, at that time, there was, plenty, there was a big part of me that wanted to get away from Jesus. I really had decided if I believe, if it's true, I'm going to believe because my way isn't working. And if it's not true, then I'm going to forget about it and stop feeling guilty about it all the time. I was kind of hoping for that answer, right? Like, hey, if it's not true, maybe I can become convinced it's not true, and then I won't have this guilt, which I do not like, because I'm just going to dismiss it all. And I couldn't get away from it. I, I just thought, hey, say what you want. The evidence for Jesus rising from the dead is strong enough where you, you cannot follow if you don't want to. I don't have to. But I'm not going to be able to squirm away from the fact that I'm actually convinced Jesus is who he said he is. And he rose from the dead. And so at some point I just came to this conclusion that, well, actually, that's good news. Because that means I really can be forgiven. And the guilt can be taken away. And so, Lord, I'm with you. And everything really did feel new. There have been plenty of mistakes since then. And maybe I became a believer way back in seventh grade and it just kind of hung around there and, and this was more of a renewal. I don't know. But what I do know is that feeling I had when I decided I'm with you and I'm so glad to be with you. Change everything. There was a newness and a rebirth, born again. When we read words like that or even say words like that, it, these days it can almost be confusing to anyone outside of the church because we say things like born again and they're like, what on earth are you talking about? Right? Even in John chapter 3, when Jesus said it, you know, Nicodemus was like, what on earth are you talking about? But it's this, this idea that I really think everybody can relate to. We need something new. That I think a lot of us in this room and our friends outside the room, they can relate to hurt and anger and guilt and needing a change. And we can say things like it can start new. We can be born again. And it actually makes sense. It was never supposed to be a confusing term. It was supposed to be a picture. Like, here's what is available. New life. A new start. And in verse 3, we read, we are born again. That we have been born again. So how does it affect us 
moving forward? Or does it even affect us moving forward? Is it more of like just, um, you know, I heard this story a lot, and this, this is an aspect of being born again. This idea of we were guilty. Most of us know we're guilty. Believers, non-believers, everybody, when we're being honest, it's a pretty easy conclusion. We're guilty. We've said and done destructive things. And so the judge, being God, said guilty. Everybody knew it. The whole world knows. Like he can call. We get that picture in the Bible that, you know, in the heavenly throne room, he's just called heaven and earth together as witnesses. Everybody knows we're guilty. He pronounces we're guilty. And then he does this miracle, right? He comes around and he pays the price for us. This picture, this transaction that happened on the cross when Jesus died for us. That is an aspect of being born again. There really is a, almost a transactional type of piece or a piece to this. This idea of, um, you know, he made him, I think this is right, 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Like, wow. Like he got our sin, we got his righteousness. Martin Luther said it's like a marriage. We get everything that's his, he gets everything that's ours. He gets our sin, we get his righteousness. Boom. Almost like a transaction. But if we were to think being born again or salvation is just that, we are shortchanging it. It's much more. What we read here is we have been born again to a living hope. That without forgetting that forensic piece, that idea of a transaction happened, something miraculous, a trade, a marriage, where we got the righteousness of Christ. But more than just being cleansed of the past. Like right now, a living hope by the resurrection, it says in verse 3. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That when we're talking about the prophets in those last three verses we read, verses 10 through 12, it said what was driving them? Who was leading them? The Spirit of Christ in them. Even before the Son took on flesh, right, and became Jesus in Bethlehem, right? The, the God-man, he was created in a place, right? The Word and the flesh came together in a place at a specific time in Bethlehem. But the Word of God, the Son of God existed before so that the Spirit of Christ was moving in the prophets who were predicting Christ's sufferings in future glory. That this is also a, a, a picture of what it looks like to be born again, this living hope that we actually don't just recognize the resurrection and even recognize this transaction, this holy, mysterious transaction that happened, but that we actually receive resurrected Jesus Christ into us. And he says, I am in you and you are in me. Again, a picture of unity, like a marriage. That there's this living, active hope. 
the Spirit of Christ, Paul tells us in Romans, in us. So how does being born again change things? Wow. Let me make sure I check the time here so I don't go on too long. <laughs> Every day. I'm getting on a plane, I told you, and flying back to Boston, but I'm not flying back there to see Patriots in another AFC Championship game. Flying back there because my mom. But here's what I'm also flying back into. I'm flying back into my family. Anybody ever figured out that everybody's family's crazy? <laughs> Everybody, like people come, like, you know, they come into like a pastor's office. It's such a privilege to have people share their stories. And they start sharing their story about how their family is crazy. <laughs> and they think it's news. <laughs> Families are crazy. And here's the deal. We're part of the crazy. Right, so I'm going back into this family where it is the weirdest thing. As soon as I walk into them and I see my two older sisters, I am immediately the third child again. It doesn't matter that I'm 50. <laughs> I'm just the third child. You know, and then, and then you have all those labels. You know, they're not trying to do it. They're doing it, and I'm doing it. I got them labeled. You know, I know who the smart one is, who the weak one is, who the troublemaker is, who the angry one is. Like, we're going to fall, I'm going to fall into this role. And, and you know what? They're still crazy going on. I'm going to go back home, and what I just heard this week is, there's some really bad stuff going on in my larger family. It's funny, my mom always told me the story when her mom was dying of how all the brothers and sisters, there was, they all kind of gathered together because there was one in the family, the black sheep. It's like everybody, every family has one, right? The guy no one talks about. It's actually not true. I think there's a lot of black sheep in every family. But this idea of like, he was manipulating their mom, who was going through, you know, was experiencing dementia, and he was robbing her. And I just found out that there's plenty of manipulation going on against my mom. So what does being born again look like? It means I actually get to move into this situation and I don't have to do what I did in the past, which was, I don't know, whatever your answer was. How do you handle all your difficult family relationships and other relationships? We have all sorts of ways, right? We can withdraw. We withdraw from the, the problem. Or we bring fire to the problem. We became born again because what we found was we had no idea how to manage any of those relationships. And we actually made them worse. That we moved in on our own and we got hurt by what was said and done to us. And then when we withdrew or engaged poorly or whatever we did, we did it on our own power. We did damage 
We made it worse. It wasn't all our fault, but there was a peace for us to own. Born again means I actually get to move into this relationship if I'll listen with wisdom. That when I get in the room, I don't have to explode. I don't have to be scary. That there's actually a word to say, and I don't know what it is. I currently do not know what it is. Because I don't even know where everybody else is. The manipulation I've been hearing about, maybe it's already been recognized in, in they're repenting in tears. That's one place. Maybe they're in deep denial and there's something else. I don't even know. Right? Aren't relationships so dynamic we can't even figure them out? So then we move into this relationship, whatever yours might be, and we are supernaturally empowered, the spirit of the risen Christ in us. So we do not have to respond how we always used to respond. How actually, <laughs> my sisters are probably waiting for me to respond how I used to respond. And we don't have to. That we move in and we wait for the words. We ask him, give me the words. Give me the actions. Oh, Lord, first of all, show me how do I protect my mother. And Lord, show me, what do I say to the manipulator? How do I best help them move? Do you, do you call the police? Is that the best move? Do you, do you pray with them? Is that the best? I, I don't know. But what I do know is that we have been born again into a living hope. And so we move into living relationships empowered by his spirit to figure them out if we'll let them lead us. At least figure out the next step. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd and he speaks in a way that his sheep can hear. I'm quite confident he doesn't give us the whole solution all the way to the day of Christ. But he gives us the next step. But that actually transitions me to another piece of being born again that I don't want us to forget about. And I don't think Peter wants us to forget about because he puts it in there. We have been born again to a living hope. In the next verse is we have been born again to an im imperishable inheritance. That there is an inheritance coming that cannot be destroyed. It cannot be defiled and it will never fade. You know, inheritance, that's a covenant word. We talked a little bit about covenant last week. Remember, we said that um, when we looked in the first two verses, it was the Father has a plan. And the plan is to sanctify us by the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. And it even mentions in verse 2 the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, the blood of the covenant, which that would take any good Jew, anybody who knows their um, Old Testament, it brings us back to Exodus 24. There's a covenant event that happens there that Moses comes down off Mount Sinai and he tells the people everything he's heard, and they say, we'll obey. And then he writes it all down, and he reads it to them, and he says, we'll obey. 
and he sets up an altar, and they slaughter the animals, and they put the blood on the altar, and then they sprinkle the blood on the people. And they say, this is a covenant, a covenant relationship between you and your creator. You do this law, and you'll get this land. And the land that they're moving into, and by the way, that whole generation, that was one of, if not the most disappointing generation in the history of Israel. That it took them about five seconds to set up a golden calf and start worshiping it. That it was a disaster. But the next generation may be the greatest generation in the history of Israel. That this is the generation that in obedience moves into the promised land. That generation that Joshua led into Jericho and into Canaan, throughout Canaan, they were obedient in the inheritance they receive is the land. So Joshua chapters 13 through 19, you'll see the word inheritance. Ooh, I don't know. Read it through. Read those seven chapters. Count it up. You'll probably read inheritance, I'm guessing, 15 times. Inheritance, inheritance, inheritance. All the different tribes getting their inheritance. What happened to that inheritance? Oh, in the days that Peter's writing, like every true Israelite, their hearts are broken. They know what happened. That inheritance, it was destroyed. The Babylonians came in. They wiped out the land. When Peter's writing, that there's Romans now in their land. Their land is defiled. This inheritance wasn't what they hoped. They had lost it. But what we read here is Peter saying, you have an imperishable inheritance. That this one's different it will never be defiled. It is guarded in heaven for you. And what's more, that's verse 4. This inheritance, it's guarded in heaven. And then he says, to all who are being born again, who have been born again, you are being guarded. And you are being kept for that last day. That together on that day in the future... Verse 7 says, at the resurrection or the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the resurrection, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, this faith by which we're being guarded and kept for the inheritance, it will result in glory. That that's what's ours. And as a result, the application in verses 6 and 7, as a result of all this, we actually can rejoice. Rejoice. Even while we're being tested. Even while we're suffering. Even while we're being refined. But the application of we have been born again, first of all, it's if anyone here has kind of recognized that Jesus is true but never received him, the first step is receive him. He wants to not just be something you know is true and something that's out there. He wants to be received and come into your life and be a living hope and move forward with us through every difficulty through every celebration moment by moment with us 
And then as we move through these difficulties, changed, born again, we rejoice as we see the change in us, evidence that we actually really are being guarded and kept for that imperishable inheritance that Peter wanted his readers to know about because they were suffering and it was hard. And he said, you actually still can rejoice even if you're being tested, even if the impurities in your life are being burned up. That he, he compares it to gold, right? That it's tested by fire, it's purified, it's refined it gets better. It becomes genuine gold. The real deal that we have been sanctified, born again. But these sufferings that we go through, these hardships that cause grief, it's not like we move into our tough situations and we put on some kind of fake smile. Interesting, right? It's almost like a back and forth. You're in this grief and you feel it pressing in all around you and you really feel it because we're trying to be real here, right? But then we know even as it's pressing in around us, he's in us. We won't be crushed. And what we're really waiting for is that imperishable inheritance. And until that day, we will always be aliens. Isn't that what we read last week? Chosen, elected aliens in this world. That the enemy in general is in power here. But we are in a different kingdom. Like ambassadors. Like infiltrating his kingdom the enemy's land, and we encounter resistance. But we still rejoice because he's resurrected and he wins and he's in us and he's guarding us and this inheritance. So now we move through life, born again to a living hope, rejoicing the day's coming that when I was being filled in late last night on this situation that's happening back home, even though it hasn't been home since I was 17, that there really is this piece of imperishable, untouchable, that all this evil that's going around, there's, there's a few things that aren't changing. For one, the eternal destiny of my mom. <laughs> Ooh. Another one? My eternal destiny. Another situation that's not changing? That as I move into these conversations and I have no idea what to say? He's with me. If I just won't panic and no screaming, <laughs> just listen. We're born again. We have been born again into a living hope, into an imperishable inheritance that will be revealed. One day, no more death or crying or mourning or pain. Till then, hope. <laughs>
hope, and even joy. May he move with us this morning and guide us in a living hope with great joy focused on that coming inheritance. In Jesus' name, amen.